You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and uh, Christy Morris is out this week, and so I had to fly in, specially from the North Pole. It's hard to get a hold of him this time of the year, but the one and only fat man. I mean, John Mills. Wow, I represent that remark. Listen, man, 2020's been a rough year for my eating habits, okay? I don't want to be shamed. <laughs> All right. A lot of us I have had our struggles. I was referencing the new Mel Gibson movie, Fat uh, Man, where he plays Santa. And that's yes. what I, I don't know what you were talking about. I, You know, I don't know. I don't know. All I'm going to say is that I'm going to have, pull up my tray of cookies here and uh, have, there a, you go. have a grand old time. Yes. There you go. Is it the cookie that brings you courage or is it the one that blows up? You might want to make sure you know the difference. Well, what I can tell you is that I've had my teeth replaced three times from mixing up those cookies. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we are really going to have a great time. Uh, we're excited because if you know the 602 Club, you know that a few years ago that John and I got to talk about a film that we really enjoyed, which was The Christmas Chronicles. And well, Netflix is back this year with The Christmas Chronicles 2. And so that's what we're going to be talking about as we look toward the holiday season. In fact, as we record this, Christmas is actually just a week away, so I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to all of you. Thank you so much for listening, being with us this year. We really appreciate it. Uh, do us a Christmas favor. Make it a Christmas miracle. Give us a star rating review over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever they're calling it these days. Help people find the show. We'll read that review out in the show. We thank you so much for everybody who's been listening. Of course, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, literally just about every place podcasts can be had. You can find the 602 Club, so just make sure you're subscribed. You get the show as soon as it drops. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at the 602 Club. That's something that's changed in 2020. The 602 Club is now on Twitter. So please, uh, if you're listening to the show, Go and follow us over there. You can also find us on Instagram. We'd love for you to follow us there as well at the 602 Club TFM. You can also find us online at track.fm with all the shows that we're doing. We're on the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group, of course. Facebook.com slash trek.fm as well. So, uh, again, everywhere. And... Quick note, I want to say a huge thank you to the associate producers here for the 602 Club who've been supporting this show for so long, and we really appreciate them helping bring the network to us uh, each and every week, uh, as well as the 602 Club. Uh, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah, I want to say a huge thank you to you guys uh, for all that you do uh, and making sure that um, the podcast here on the network can keep coming to you. Uh, it's a huge network, and we legitimately need your help. Uh, you know, um, we are about half the operating budget we we need, really, to make sure that this network is up and running to the best of its ability. So go over to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you could be part of the team and make sure that we can keep this network going. So, uh, John, I, I was really interested, obviously, in, in what they were going to do with the, the Christmas Chronicles 2. 
uh, and how that they would, you know, bring us the story. How are they going to work the kids in again, you know, like Kate and everything. And um, but one of the things that really kind of fascinated me the most is that like many, I think, second part Santa movies, they kind of uh, dive in a little bit to the history of Santa. And I really appreciated the fact that one that they did that for this film and I thought it was a really nice way to pay homage to the fact that you know Saint Nicholas was a real person and then kind of merge that with the fantasy that they have here and I I really appreciated also kind of connecting with the idea that you know Christmas is more than just a thing about presents you know it kind of has a historical basis and Christianity and so really connecting all that together and I thought that they did a really uh, great job of making that happen. Yeah, I think they found a really good balance. They walked a tightrope there because to your point about acknowledging the real life St. Nicholas, um, they they run the risk of alienating a part of their audience that doesn't doesn't care about that, doesn't want to hear it, doesn't identify mm-hmm. with it, that sort of thing. But they put a very big emphasis on why this man would have eventually become the the legend, the myth, the 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 person beyond all historical scope, uh, Santa Claus, right? And I think that I, in terms of also threading that needle, something that they do with his backstory that I think is interesting with meeting the, the elves that, you know, bestow powers and, and those sorts of things and help him out in the beginning is that it, it, it harkens back in a very large way to those sixties and seventies Rankin Bass series. They yeah, had a Santa Claus too. origin story that was completely devoid of any reference to uh, Christianity at all. Uh, in that Rankin Bass series, because it was, if I remember correctly, Santa Claus was bestowed the mantle of immortality from like the forest spirit and the snow spirit or something like that. It was, it was a really like wild mythology that they came up with. So this one, I think, combines aspects of that with the, the real history. And I think it, it adds a certain amount of, uh, reality to the character. That is very welcome because they, they, by rooting him in that way. Now we'll get your opinion on this, actually. Like, do you think that rooting him in that way as an audience member made you go along with the changes that they made, uh, to his story more easily? Like, by making, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark is historical fiction. Do you think this inhabits that zone? Yeah, one of the things that I thought was really smart was that, you know, obviously, as he starts off, he is just St. Nicholas. He is this figure that, um, you know, is altruistically working for the the benefit and the beauty uh, and help of all of these children who live in Turkey um, at, at that time. And then... Um, he becomes somebody who is is becomes aware of the plight of the elves and the fact that you know they they they're being hunted down and killed. You know he goes to the woodland elves there and they help him build, uh, you know the um the star that's atop the tree at at the North Pole, the container for that which holds which they realize he's the only one that they've ever found that can channel 
the power of the shard of the star of Bethlehem, which mm-hmm. allows him then to create uh, m- m- melding that star with the aurora borealis creates the veil that hides the village in the North Pole, which helps save elves. Right. And so he becomes kind of like the savior figure before he, you know, it, any of mm-hmm. this. So it's like in many ways he kind of I mean. You know, regardless of whether or not you're a Christian or not, he kind of mirrors Jesus in that sense. He's saving an entire race of people um, Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. are doomed to death. And then what does he do? You know, he continues to spend the rest of his life giving. And and also that star and that that force field basically around, uh, you know, the the North Pole is what keeps him young. So it's like they find such a great way of tying this historical figure to this this fantasy element, which really I think does a great job of explaining the origin of Santa, which, you know, makes sense. You know, if you're going to be in a world that has elves with Santa and everything, it's not that far of a stretch. And so uh, to me, that was something that I just, I really appreciated that they were kind of, you know, paying homage to. And, you know, it makes sense that this comes from the mind of Christopher Columbus, because, I mean, my wife and I just rewatched Home Alone. And, you know, Home Alone is is very similar in that sense, too, where you have these underlying kind of Christianese elements, you know, about like forgiveness and family and, um, mm-hmm. you know, selfishness and, and selflessness and all of those type of things all really playing together. Um, his movies always tend to involve, you know, the kids going to church at least once, you know, or, you know, something like that. And um, so I... It was just, and the first Christmas Chronicles did that too, you know, where Teddy and Kate end up in front of the church and they hear mm-hmm. them singing, you know. So um, the same way that Kevin does and <laughs> going to church and in the Home Alone. So I just, I, to me, it's just really worked. And I, I, um, I was really thankful that we got the opportunity to kind of learn how this Santa became Santa and what makes him Santa. And you get the feeling as though, the magic that's happening is is something slightly more supernatural than just kind of like fantasy magic, which mm-hmm. is nice too. Like I, to me, it just really worked. I, it's one of the things I liked the most about the movie. Yeah. It, there's no shortage of imagination behind this. And, and I think that that story that we get is a small sl- sliver because I, I recall, I, I forget where I read it, but apparently Kurt Russell himself wrote some obscene number of pages. I think it was like 200 pages. 200, yes. 200 pages of backstory for uh, the way he was going to play Santa Claus, which I think is that in and of itself, when you have a star who's that invested, he's not just showing up to work. He's not just showing up to play a role he's showing up because he cares so much and it's really fascinating because you get such wonderful performances out of people that come to it with that but in terms of the myth building i really i like the one thing i struggle with with this is the myth building is fantastic it's terrific but it it feels like it just is so complex 
that it needed more time to breathe. Like they needed a different sort of opening almost to give it more distance so that you could spend more time with it because the, the, the backstory that they give is, is fascinating and you're taken in on it, but it is not given as much time as I'd like to see. Like it's one of those things where I'm sitting there saying, Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Oh, 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 we're back to the story. Oh, okay. Like I wanted to spend more time with that part of the story. And I wanted to find out more about his, his, the beginning of his relationship with Mrs. Claus and, and, and those sorts of things. Yeah. I, I almost feel like it would have been fascinating to kind of have like the second movie almost be like the origin story. Right. You know, uh, I think you could have absolutely done that and it would have been just fine. I think everybody would have accepted it. Like, you you know, basically it's the prequel actually to the Christmas Chronicles. So, but you know, who cares? Uh, And I I agree with you that I would have just loved more time in that because I mean, they work it into the story organically enough to allow Mrs. Claus to tell the story, you know, as the kids mm-hmm. pull off the Christmas Chronicles. They're actually books that sit on the shelves there at, at the North Pole in one of the, the the guest bedrooms, although how many people they have guesting over there, I don't really know. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I so I thought that was really a smart way to do it. But like you, I almost felt like, it would have been nice, maybe even if we just gave that part of the movie five more minutes. Yes. You know, I know that's quite a bit in, in movie time, but it's like even just five more minutes to allow that story to breathe just a little bit more um, because it is so pivotal to the rest of the story and what's going on with the different characters and everything because they have to combine the origin of Santa with also what we get with Belschnickel. And it's like you you feel like you want a little bit more of both actually because it feels like you almost need more of his story too so you know what i actually think of because before we on the other side of the club we were talking about um uh lord of the rings the the middle earth series yes and i almost wonder if this movie would have been better served by having an opening the way that they opened fellowship of the ring where they showed that past part and they had the narration where it said, you're going to need to know this for everything that's coming up next. And you and people would have completely gone with it. And then at the end of it, you would have said, because it pertains very much to everything that happened in the Christmas Chronicles 2 or right. something like that. And I, I just think that would have been a more natural way because... I think simply inverting it and having that prologue put in there so that it doesn't have the clunky weight of of exposition and then go into the family on the beach, I think would have worked better. It would have been a better sequence of events. See, I agree with you there because then you can easily find a way for them to, when they're reading the story, they're reading just the story about Belschnickel and you can spend more time on that. And again, you get the kind of the origin story that helps explain then when you get to the Woodland Elves and all that kind of stuff, you know. And so, no, I agree. You know, uh, there's there's been a couple of movies I feel like recently that Christy and I have talked about where I felt like. You know, if you're going to do this, maybe a prologue would have helped. I'm always surprised that more 
movies don't just go that route because it is a good way to kind of bring you in slowly and give you a lot of exposition. And people are much more willing, I think, to accept that because you're not slowing down the movie at the beginning. Right. Right. Uh, and so, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think it would have been really nice. Um, and, you know, it, yeah, so it, it, I don't I don't know. It's well, well, what's especially surprising about that not being a decision made is even though it didn't play out exactly that way, uh, Chris Columbus did Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone, uh, yep, if you're listening yep. across the seas. And, or, uh, and he did uh, Chamber of Secrets as well. So, yeah, right. But but philosopher's stone opens up with that whole essentially prologue so yeah, it seems like he yep. could have looked at an earlier work of his own and said oh how am i gonna oh this is how i can handle this so it, it seems sort of a surprising thing that that decision wasn't made because i do think that um where it stands now i i mean it's tough because I want to see Kate. I want to see the family. I want to spend time with them. I want to find out what's going on. But let's be honest, the thing that brought me back to Christmas Chronicles 2 was Kurt Russell is such an amazing Santa right. Claus. Give, you know, give me a lot of that. A lot yeah. of that. No, I agree with you there. Um, and I do think that that's the thing that the movie does really well is it it, it does allow us to spend more time with with Santa which is fantastic but it also allowed us to be able to you know uh, you know with the history of Santa we also get to spend more time with Mrs. Claus because we're in the North Pole which was also great and you know I mm -hmm. thought you know Goldie Hawn was was just so lovely uh in the role and this really added to um the relationship between her and Santa which is you know going to kind of play into something that I was going to talk about a little bit later but I I you know I was glad that we were not only spending more time with Santa, but we were going to spend more time, obviously, uh, with Mrs. Claus. And, you know, I, I think they do such a great job in this movie together. You can tell that they're having a blast together, mm -hmm. you know, making a movie like this. It, I mean, who how, how could you not, honestly? Well, what's what is especially wonderful and what is a lot of fun to watch is the fact that uh, you know, we all know Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell have been a couple for almost time immemorial. I, I can't remember a time where Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn were not a couple. And they've always been that celebrity couple that really seemed perfect together. It really seemed like these were two people, regardless of whether, you know, whether whether you would have done it the same way they did or whether you, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It really seemed like you could see them together and you could say, these people belong together. This is just perfect. If there was ever an argument that, that there is a perfect person for somebody, the two of them are the argument for it. And that comes across in the scenes that they have yeah. so much. They are having such a good time during this that you can't help but smile through all of their scenes together. Because you can tell that these are two people that have a legitimate chemistry that belong together. And forgive me for drawing the comparison, but it's the, it is the absolute antithesis of the type of non-chemistry that happened with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman <laughs> in Far and Away and Eyes Wide Shut, where you sat there and you watched it and you said, they're, they're married? Really? You look at Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn and you say, oh, yeah, these people were meant to be together. 
Like it's just they yeah. could play any roles, but these roles especially, they're they have such a a a in a bullion love for each other that it just informs every scene that they have together. Yeah. No, I mean it 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 just seems so natural. I mean they they mm-hmm. feel like they're actually people who love each other, you know. Um, and, and that's exactly what you want from this couple, you know, when you're playing Santa and, you know, Mrs. Claus. So I think they just, they nail it. And it was, it was great that, you know, again, that they created this movie that allows us to have more history about them both, but allows us to spend more time at the North Pole so that we're actually getting to spend time with her as much as him. Because, you know, she was just as, and uh, I, I found her to be uh you know just as fun to watch and had just as much as fun with her scenes they did with his and that's Mm -hmm. a that's what you want you know um so especially with this iconic couple of you know mr and mrs claus yeah you know what what's really fun about seeing them apart as well is that it, it is a very relatable married couple dynamic uh mm-hmm. that that exists where you know, let's face it, guys can be a little bit childish. They can be a little bit immature. And then the, you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 the wife winds up becoming the one who's sort of like, you know, a little bit more compassionate, a little bit more organized. And, and we have that scene, which it's interesting because there are plenty of places where, you could see a scene like the one where they're walking through the village and Kate says, well, shouldn't it be Mrs. Claus's village? And Santa Claus has a legitimate reaction where he says, well, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I guess we've never really talked about it. Like it, 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 but once it occurs to him, he thinks to himself, yeah, she really is sort of the brains behind this one, isn't she? And so it, in, instead of that scene coming across as a patronizing scene, it comes across as Santa in this circumstance. You know, he's somebody who is so childlike that it never occurs to him that, yeah, actually, right. though, it should kind of be named after her. You know, like, oh, yeah, 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 she did put everything together because he's just out there having such a good time. It just never occurs. And she's so good natured. She doesn't really care. And it's like, oh, yeah. OK, you know, that that's fine. She knows who's really running the show. Right. Well, and it, that's what I think is that it was kind of beautiful about the relationship is it kind of shows a, uh, the beauty of a relationship, what happens when people aren't about ego, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and Santa and, and uh, Mrs. Claus don't really have an ego unless you try to mess up Christmas, right? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is what we see with the rest of the story. You do that and it's going to be trouble. And, you know, I, I thought... It was interesting is this, in this one is we don't spend a lot of time with Teddy. This one is really more about Kate right. uh, and her soon-to-be, most likely, stepbrother, uh, Jack, um, accidentally, you know, getting to uh, the North Pole. But what was interesting to me was, I just think about, like, what child was this? You know, like, with this whole Belschnickel story and, you know, this kind of wayward child of, of the clauses almost. Uh, and... um I thought it was really interesting the way that they mirror, you know, Kate and Belschnickel, uh, in the sense that, you know, these are two characters who are mad and upset because 
they're focusing on Christmas as um, about themselves. And that mm-hmm. really the perversion of Christmas and the worst perversion of it is that when we make it about ourselves uh, and what we get and, and, and then we kind of stop, you know, really caring about um, the consequences for the actions that we're going to take around that, you know, the, the attitude and how that affects others. And even just like obviously with Belschnickel, the fact that he's actually trying to steal Christmas um, right. and steal, um, you know, uh, everything that the clauses have built because he's hurt about um you know them caring more about the rest of the world than him you know that utter selfishness and it's just like man he's an angry elf you know what's interesting too is since they do acknowledge something of a a, you know they acknowledge saint nicholas's real world backstory and everything just the the parallels you can see there with you know the, the 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 story of of lucifer being cast out you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the prideful moment of I'm every bit as great as you. you. I deserve everything that's here. And it's like, I like that they set up these gateways where elves can do wrong, essentially. They can be a little bit this way. They can be a little bit that way. But it takes all of the tumblers lining up for them to create that perfect situation where they are uh, banished for for you know lack of a better term and belschnickel finds himself i think i just think it's so interesting to tie to your point about you know being selfish and, and the opposite of christmas sort of thing where it really winds up being very interesting just in terms of that idea that there's room built into the quote unquote elves code for people to falter for people to fail and for people to correct and redeem themselves. But it's only when the combination of everything comes up that they're truly, they, they've chosen to separate themselves from what essentially is paradise with, with Santa Claus. Who would want to leave Santa Claus's village? I wouldn't. If I found myself at Santa Claus's village right now, I'd be just like, all right, just tell me the things I don't have to do. Cause I want to stay. This would be a lot of fun. And I think it's also very interesting because because of that arc where you see Santa Claus being given that opportunity to realize, I mean, not realize even Santa and Mrs. Claus from the beginning, even though Santa is a little bit stubborn and, you know, it leads to, to, you know, the different things that happen in the movie the fact that Santa and Mrs. Claus, they still, their first reaction is to say to Belschnickel, come back, change, come. We want you here. We want you to be a part of the family as opposed to saying, no, you're evil. Get out. They're saying, no, 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 come back, come back. We can, we can make this work. Well, and it, I, I kind of love the way that they, you know, talk about and, and the things that you have to do, which is, you know, you have to be an elf who has, uh, you know, uh, ego, lying, viciousness, envy and selfishness. It's all of these, um, you know, vices to which um, are the again, it's the antithesis of Christmas. And there's this this beauty of, you know, like you said, that. You can be forgiven, but you have to make the turn. You have to do the 180 of recognizing what you've done 
that's wrong and and then turn around and and he's not willing to do that until you know the very end there and i think there's something you know beautiful about that because again there is they're ready with open arms to accept him with his repentance but you have to be repentant first and right. I, I really like that story. And and you kind of see, again, I love that we, you know, mirror that with Kate and how her she's struggling with. She's rejecting out of hand, you know, this this new person for her mother. Uh, and in many ways, um, you know, subtly hurting her mother uh, and the relationship she could be building with Bob and with Jake uh, and even her own brother. And she doesn't realize the effect that her actions are having, uh, you know, I think until she begins to kind of piece it together as she watches and she hears the story of Belschnickel and she sees what he's trying to do and um, really how important it is to, it's like, you know, just because um, somebody comes into our life that we learn to love doesn't mean it takes the love away we have for who's already there or who was mm-hmm. already there. And, you know, she has to learn that lesson the same way Belschnickel does. It's like, yes, the clauses are so super busy with the rest of the world and, and um, you know, selflessly uh, providing the joy of Christmas and giving to children all over the world, you know, but that doesn't mean that they've lost the love that they have for everybody who lives in Santa's village, you know? And so um, it just might mean that, you know, there is going to be some (laughs) time um, that they, they might not be able to give because of that. And it's like, I just, I thought, you know, is a great, is a great message for a Christmas movie. And I think it also brings to home this idea of like, you know, Christmas really isn't about, commercialism it's about giving you know and being yeah. giving and like the, yeah. the spirit of christmas um even with when you think of the big musical number the spirit of christmas is is more about the thought of giving um and and um being with those you love than anything else you know so that's i i just really liked that yeah and, and it is you know it's tough because um it is so easy to get caught up in that idea of what you need, what you want, those sorts of things, you know, oh, Christmas is coming, because that's just, it informs so much of what is, you know, what is at our core in terms of, you know, being the online shoppers that we are now. Oh, what do I want? What do I want? I got to get what I want. Instant gratification sort of thing. And, Tying that back in, I think, to Kate, what's interesting as well is I believe Chris Columbus is the one who directed Mrs. Doubtfire, right? And so... Uh, If I'm not mistaken, I think you're correct. Yeah. So you wind up again with another story about how the family uh, is defined by a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. And I I actually want to give the movie a lot of, a lot of credit for the fact that Bob is so understanding. It's so easy for a movie to make the simple arc of the two or, you know, the, the, the kid from one, you know, the kid is there and the stepdad is there and they're butting heads and the, the mother has to assuage the fears of the, the potential new father saying, Oh, you know, don't worry about her. It's fine. It's fine. 
this really is a situation where they do make it clear that Kate is the one that has to change her heart because Bob is the one that's sitting there and all he does is open himself up to her and say, what can I do? What did I do? Tell me what I can do to make this work. And I think if they had gone that more traditional route of the two of them just not getting along and they're too much alike and blah, 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 blah. I don't think the arc works. I, I think the, I think it, it neuters the arc and instead, what we get is something that is really interesting because Bob winds up becoming a mirror for Santa Claus. I, I want you as part of this family. Please come back. Please be with us. So you're and saying, she, baby, please come home? Well, it's funny you should say that. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. You know, I I love what you're saying because I was thinking about this as of how Kate is kind of creating her own blue Christmas, you know, like mm-hmm. she yeah, we're just going to use all the the holiday puns tonight because it's so much Why fun, not? but so but you know, and it in that, you know, Kate is is a true believer, but this is her crisis of faith, mm-hmm. which is this struggle that where her faith is being put to the test and it's because of you know she had she's just starting to get used to the fact that her dad is gone he's not coming back and moving on with life without him and she's just found that equilibrium and now that's being upended again and she's fighting against that because of this idea of somebody possibly taking his place as if that's ever possible even for her mother right right um and i just i really love that like you said you know with with the fact that it's not Bob coming in and, and, and trying to do that or are them just having fights and not getting along. It really is about this guy. He's opening his heart to her. He's, 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 he's giving her the time that she needs to come uh, and be comfortable and just waiting for the opportunity. And, and she realizes that by the end um, and knowing that, that she's the one who's rejecting this change and she's the one who in in some ways is kind of turning her back on the faith that she says she has which is in christmas which is in santa and all that he stands for which is to be this selfless person who's giving and loving and all those things um and i think that that's the real beauty is we see that the model we're supposed to follow is is that person and that's what she becomes more like by the end of the film I also think that she winds up being a cautionary tale about how whatever we put our faith in, how in times of trouble it can become a transactional sort of faith. Yeah. Because her problem is, hey, look, Santa, I believe in you and I'm a true believer in Christmas. You owe me. Give it to me. This is what I want. I should get what I want. Whereas because I've been a good girl this year, right. so you owe me. Yeah, exactly. It's that whole transactional nature of I'm going to cash in my chips now. When that's not what it's what any relationship is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about if you love somebody, if you believe in somebody, that's just what it is. And you you don't you don't give with the expectation of receipt because that's not right. really giving. That's that's uh, that 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 that's bartering more than anything else. Yeah, and 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 you is that really like again is it like really something that 
you're you're putting your faith in because you believe in you trust in or is it just something that you're trying to get something out of like a coke machine you know um yeah it's, right you know that's just yeah i think that that's really beautiful and and again that's what we kind of see is that true relationship can't be transactional true a loving relationship is not transactional. Santa does not give gifts to people so that they will give him something back. Nobody gives mm-hmm. anything to Santa. He just gives because he he loves people and he wants them to f- to feel joy, you know. Um, and that that is what Christmas is all about, which is the the act of giving selflessly to someone else. And so, um, I yeah, I think that's. Just a fantastic part, and it's it's really fun. I really liked um, our new addition as well to the film in Jack, and I loved him like finding some courage at Christmas, which is really difficult for him because you know, he's a kid who's kind of been afraid of everything, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and he he you know learns that lesson that you to take risks is not to not have fear but to just learn to just do it anyway to overcome you know uh, and i i thought that's really fun because i feel like we it, it almost felt like a meta message to the world we live in it's like you know um mm-hmm. let's let's um let's remember that um we can do it you know and right. i just really liked that um, and I thought it was, and Jack was, he, oh man, he's such a cute kid. Yes. Uh, and like, you know, and that's the thing about, uh, kids in movies, uh, as you're Bruno, you know, it's a hard lesson, but obviously Christopher Columbus knows what he's doing when he's casting kids. Yes. Because obviously he did Harry Potter. Uh, and, um. Jack was great. He was a. I mean, I'm actually excited to, to that that he'll be a part of you know hopefully Christmas Chronicles three, um, because I really liked his arc in this movie. I loved him growing closer with Kate. I loved his relationship with Mrs. Claus and him being like, yeah, Mrs. Claus and I are like this. Um, yeah. just a, a really fun part of the story for me. Yes, uh, I think Jack was a, a, a great character. I I do think he was a lot of fun. I did like the mission that they gave to him. You know, I I like the fact that they had a. It, it it was it was an interesting move. They made things more complex to give Kate and Jack separate missions, as opposed to the joint mission that um, she and her brother had in the first one. And I I did really like that stuff the the one thing i wish is that they had found a way to more organically weave jack's fear into the earlier part because it was a little too and this is not the actor's fault this is the writing fault it was a little too obvious what they were setting up at the very beginning by having him constantly you know say oh i'm afraid of this oh i'm afraid of that oh i'm afraid of this it could have been done a little bit more it, subtly. It was a little too clunky. They should have had him in a situation yes, wherein yeah. he freaked out. And so when he overcame his fear in a similar fearful situation, they just have him talk about his fear earlier on. Mm-hmm. They don't have him encounter a fear really earlier on. And I think that would have been a better way to, to structure his story. And I think probably would have made his story more satisfying for more people 
to see him. You know, uh, that, that phrase we all, you and I always tussle about the whole show don't tell thing. It's, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you can, you can misinterpret that a thousand different ways, but in this circumstance, having Jack simply tell us that he's afraid of everything does sort of blunt the fact that he's overcoming a fear later because I, it, it becomes an inevitability instead of tricking my lizard brain into saying, Oh, I've seen something like this. He, and he failed before and to see yep. him fail and then succeed, I think has a better visual uh, progression than anything else. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. I, I'm always going to be a fan of, of a movie where you show somebody something so that you can use it later, you know? Um, and I, I think it would have been fascinating to see him maybe, you know, trying something at the resort, you know, and like, maybe like he's all excited to go do the, you know, big water slide. And then he gets at the top and he freezes and he can't do it. So he has yep. to walk back down and shame, you know, that kind of thing. Like, just something like that, you know, we're talking like a minute scene. You could have really brought that home instead of him just saying no to a bunch of things and listing off reasons. I, yeah, that's absolutely something that I think would have been more helpful for the film and that storyline for him. And it just would have made it stronger um, because I think it would have made you feel like when he's given the mission by Mrs. Claus that is he really going to do it? Like, is he mm -hmm. going to be able to pull it off, you know, um, because this is way more scary than like climbing a water slide, you know? Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with you, man. Apparently, I, you know, I think I think we've just nailed it down is that Chris Columbus needs us to help him write Christmas Chronicles three. So oh, I'm listening, available. Chris. Yeah, yeah, we're available. So absolutely. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, and but that's the thing I want to ask you, right, is. We have Christmas Chronicles, which is a very straightforward, fun, whimsical. I mean, it's a blast. I, I love the first one and I really enjoy the second one. But I want to ask just in terms of that story complexity, you know, I know there are th certain things we haven't touched on yet, but, but just while we're talking about it, like what possibly could they do after this? Where do you go from here? Afterward, I want more Kurt Russell as Santa Claus. I, I want to go down to Reed Hastings at Netflix HQ and hold him by his ankles over a balcony and say, give me more Kurt Russell as Santa Claus. Give me more Goldie <laughs> Hawn as Mrs. Claus, or I'm going to drop you off this balcony. I'm, do, I'm going full Suge Knight with vanilla ice right here. And I just... I look at this, and I look at the structure of this, and I look at the, the where they went with the story... And I can't figure out where they can go from here. I, I think it's a, a, it would be a tremendous thing for somebody to figure it out. But I don't know if they circle the wagons and go simpler again. I don't know if they go bigger. Or I don't know if there's some thread in here. Did you see some thread in here that they could pursue in a third one that people are overlooking? That's a really good question because, you know, I mean, obviously we've done the thing where we're saving Christmas twice. Uh, mm -hmm. And and so it feels like if you have to do that a third time. Um, I You know, I honestly think it might be interesting if um, 
if Santa and Mrs. Claus maybe have to go back to the real world to help, you know, save something in Kate's life mm. as opposed to the other way around, you know? Mm. Uh, so that might be pretty interesting, especially since, you know, I mean, yeah, Santa understands the world, but he hasn't lived in the world since what? 10 uh, something BC or whatever, yeah. you know, like insane. Third, cent- insane. third century or something like third that. Third century. Yeah. It's a long time, folks. Uh, so that might be kind of funny. And the other thing I was thinking of is, and it's interesting you bring this up because I was thinking of this whole idea of and it, it just like, you know, for them, when their heart found Christmas, it was to give up having children. Because mm-hmm. obviously living where they live in the North Pole, you can't have a child there. Because they'll never grow up. And mm-hmm. they never grow old. And so they have willingly giving up the, given up the sacrifice of the, the fact that you can tell they would love to have children. They would love that. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons that they do what they do together for the children of the world. But they don't actually have the joy of having a child of their own. Even though somebody like Belschnickel is, is, is close enough, but... I was really heartbroken watching them give up children for the happiness of the world. Mm-hmm. And and so I to me maybe that's somewhere where they could possibly go to allow them to have a child of their own somehow, you know? Uh and I don't know how they would do that with the the parameters they put in place, but that's something that I think I really saw in the film is is how they responded to having children in the North Pole for the first time and who knows how long and the joy it brought them and how sad they are, obviously, to not have them there again. Um, that's, I, I don't know, maybe that's something that they could mine. You know, I, I wonder... See, you, you go you go that that direction. I go in the direction. I like your idea of putting them in the real world. I like that I would like actually to see them whether it's Kate or whether they find a uh, an earlier family that was a family of true believers or whatever. Have them in a situation where like like you're saying they're trapped in the real world, but the kid has grown up and convinced themselves that what they thought happened was just a a dream or a fantasy or something like that and have Santa have to sit there and and Mrs. Claus say you you used to have a thing with us what like see them be disoriented by the fact that there are people who choose not to believe in them hmm. that there yeah. there would be something I mean, Santa has run across people. He ran across people who didn't believe in him before, and it was treated as, I'll show you, you know, I know you and stuff like that. But find Mm -hmm. that truly recalcitrant person that can't budge, that no matter what Santa does and Mrs. Claus does, they won't believe. Mm. And have something structured around that just to show that there are those who can have very faith affirming things put in front of them, you know, whether it's faith affirming about how somebody else behaves or faith affirming about the nature of humanity or something like that. And they refuse to accept that it's true mm-hmm. because yeah. it does not comport with the worldview that they have built around not believing it. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that could be a very interesting yeah. sort of one. 
Yeah. No, so I, maybe I we've think, just written three and four. Yeah. Maybe we've given them two it's movies. True. Yeah. It's true. No, I think it, I think it's a it's a good thought. You know, just because it is really interesting as you keep um, making these movies, and 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 do you want to keep going to the place where you're just continually saving Christmas over and mm-hmm. over again? And, and mm-hmm. I mean, I think this one, and and one of the things we haven't talked about yet, but obviously um, they get thrown back in time. You know, and and they mm-hmm. end up in you know ninety one at the airport, uh, and um, they have to save themselves by creating a Christmas spirit so that uh, the you know the uh, reindeer can fly again because obviously at airport at Christmas time there is no Christmas spirit there, um, mm-hmm. and uh, they find a few uh, you know a few key people to help them along the way which you know turns into another raucous uh, you know musical number um, and also a very poignant moment as well so you know I thought I thought that that was um. That was something that they added that was really fun and honestly did not ex- see that coming, honestly. Uh, you know, I I suspected um, when she got taken by security and she encountered the little boy, I remember looking at my wife and saying, I betcha, but I was still overjoyed when he pulled out the pocket knife and I saw that pocket yes. knife and I said, yes, yes, this is where we're going with this. And I think that it's really... What I really love most about the scene uh, or sequence, I guess, is that Kurt Russell has decided that he's going to indulge that musical side. And so I want them to keep making these movies, obviously, but I want to see them keep making these just because I want to see who else he can do (laughs) a musical number with. Because right now we had some really amazing classic, uh, um, you know, rock and roll people uh playing in the first one and we have darlene love in this one i'm like who who's next bono Are we gonna get bono in the next one like Heck i want yeah. i want to see it i want to like bono and bruce springsteen show up why not oh my gosh how great would that be uh, yeah. you know and one of the things that i really appreciated about the way they did the musical number this time was that um they didn't have that be the sole focus the 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 real heart of that was you know, that's mm. happening with what's happening with Kate and her dad. Right. Um, yep. And and so that we realize that we we shouldn't spend all that time on the musical number this time because people are, might roll their eyes. And so it ends up being the fun thing that is back is backing up what's actually happening. This emotional moment of Kate um, getting the opportunity to to meet her father when he's basically her age. And um you know, in in a, in a very strange way to be able to say goodbye uh, and to let go of him so that she can move forward with what's going on in, in her life at this point. And I thought, you know, that's a really fun, clever and kind of a classic way to al- allow fantasy to have a character be able to move on and... Mm-hmm. um yeah, and of course the musical number was was great. Like you said, Dar- the great Darlene Love uh, singing with Kurt Russell was just a blast. Yeah, and I, something that I like about it is that, it, in terms of that, you know, being the backdrop to the the real emotional core, is the the thing that is really difficult. And this is speaking as a parent. <laughs> 
is trying to tread that line of letting your kids who are tweens or pre-tween, preteens or teens themselves or whatever, trying to convey to them that you were in some weird places when you were younger too. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're the way that you are. It really speaks to, I think in a lot of ways, the this idea of the mythology that is built because we find right. out the real story of Santa Claus instead of the mythology of Santa Claus in this one. And as a parallel to that, we find out the real story of Kate's dad as opposed to this mythology she's built in her head about her dad. And right. it underscores the fact that there's a, that there is a realness to everybody that you sort of have to work to get at. You can't just presume that they, you know, they sprang magically from yep. Zeus's head or something like that. I, I think that's a really good point. The whole idea is that, you know, um, the fact that she kind of has built this idealized version of her dad in her head that supports her thought process about, you know, when she's complaining about, uh, you know, whether they should be at the beach or not, you know. And, you know, when her dad tells her that it's really about who you spend Christmas with, uh, it's it's not about the where, that it it brings it home to her. And I think that that's a really great uh, message, you know, and, and allows that message to really come to fruition in a way that you can't just get if somebody tells her that in that way, you know, like the the person she really needs to hear that from is basically her dad and, and she gets that opportunity. So all that said, John, I, I'm really interested as we kind of wind down now of, of where you're going to land with the ratings for Christmas Chronicles 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's tough. Um, it's tough because there is a part of me, intellectually speaking, that very much wants to give this a three max. Um, and there there was a part of me that for a time was like, eh, is it a two and a half? Because I did, you know me, I'll pick on that structural thing. And there were structural things in this that really got under my skin. But the simple fact that I came into this and I said, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm being too easy on it. Maybe I'm not uh, looking at it critically enough. This conversation has shown me that, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's the spirit of Christmas. Who knows? But it's okay sometimes to let go of some of those things and just say, you know what? I had a really good time with this. There's a really good message. And while I might not like it as much as the first Christmas Chronicles, and while my head might tell me that it's a three at best, I'm going to wind up giving it a three and a half. If for no other reason than that chemistry of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn is so magnificent that it feels like a disservice to them to rank it any lower. So what about you? Yeah, this was really interesting for me. Uh, I think on Letterboxd I gave it four stars, but in all reality it's probably more like 3.75 because Mm -hmm. I'm with you there. There were just a couple of things that just, you know, it's not quite as good as the first one, which is a four-star movie uh, for sure. Um, But I, you know, I've watched it before. I watched it again for this podcast, and I just, you know, there are moments where... I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the time of year. Maybe it's just been a really rough year as it has for, for everyone. But, 
you know, there's just moments in this movie that just kind of got me emotionally, you sure. know, and I think if a movie can make me feel like that, where I'm kind of like, is it dusty in here? You know, I, I mm-hmm. think that that's a, that's a perfect Christmas film. We want to be brought to have those pure emotions, those ones that kind of remind us the best of what it means to be a part of this season and why it's so joyful to be a part of this season, especially at a year like this. And, and, and I, I'm reminded that it's, you know, it's not about, you know, the circumstance. It's about, um, it's about having joy in all seasons, you know, and, um, you know, the, the circumstances that Kate was in, she just, you know, she found herself in a place she didn't want to be, but she had to open her heart up to something new, uh, even if it wasn't exactly what she thought she wanted. Um, but it, by doing that, she allowed herself to experience something beautiful. And, you know, having to do that this year, uh, you know, not <laughs> being able to go to Dallas as I would like to, to see family and stuff, that kind of thing. It's just, hey, so what am I, what, how, how can we, you know, make the best of where we are? Who can we, you know, so all of those things together. Yeah, I think that this is such a fun movie. It's, it's a well-earned addition to the Christmas Chronicles um, uh, series now. And I'm, I'm really interested, obviously, to see where they go and see if they can make this a really good trilogy. And hopefully it's, you know, better than uh, Home Alone 3, which I've never seen on purpose. <laughs> so, um, I would never compare this to Home Alone 2. Let's make that yeah. a statement for how much better <laughs> this is in those terms. But, uh, John, um, we are at that time. Uh, before we let everybody where they can find us, uh, where we give people some recommendations. So I'm interested to see what oh you're going to recommend this evening or this morning or whenever people are listening to this podcast. You know what I'm going to recommend? I honestly, because we and we were talking about this on the other side of the room, but it's a it's a little Christmas era gem that I revisited recently that I think is hysterically funny and is well worth it. And since it is since tis the season, I'm going to point people to the rom com Just Friends, starring uh, Ryan Reynolds and Amy Smart. Yes, because that is a movie that brings zany nonsense and painful painful and highly relatable high school uh trauma to bear and i think it's just a laugh a minute uh uh sort of movie from beginning to finish and in a strange way its own spin on a christmas carol in a, in a lot yeah. of ways yeah and I really think it's worth watching. So here, tis the season. Check out, if you haven't seen it, Just Friends, starring Ryan Reynolds and Amy Smart. And uh, I think you'll, I hope, you'll you'll have a grand old time. Uh, as you say that, I'm going to recommend Fat Man. Uh, with Ooh, I still haven't seen that. It's, uh, I, it, now, obviously, this is not a move for kids. It is R-rated. Um, but man, it was the perfect christmas dark comedy with a great message and just uh if it was not the perfect christmas movie for 2020 i don't know what is uh this is it (laughs) so i highly recommend it it's so worth it i i rented it i had a great time watching it it was fantastic um the um if you know i i actually tweeted that out on on twitter and and the director uh, uh got back to me and 
said, thank you so much. I'm so glad you liked it. He was really kind, you know, so that was really cool too. Um, I'm not name dropping. It was just, I, you know, you tweet people and they never that's tweet the point. you back. No, no, no. That's know, not so. name dropping. That's the point of Twitter yeah. is to, to, to reach out to people. So I, I think that's wonderful. So, that's yeah, terrific. it was really cool. I mean, he's been very supportive of people uh, liking the film on Twitter and, and being uh, neat about, you know, saying thanks so much for checking out our film. Uh, obviously, it's a hard time to release a movie. Um, but, yeah. you know, I, I go rent a movie of, of you know, for, for people who you know, didn't get the theatrical release that they, they hoped they were going to get. So definitely check out Fat Man. But, John, if anybody wants to uh, find out what you've got going on, uh, besides hosting on the 602 Clip with me every once in a while with Christy, uh, where can people find you? Well, if you love uh, somebody named Fat Man, you can check me out at Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Uh, social network of choice. I always recommend people check me out over on Letterboxd because I have probably the most fun of any uh, social media platform on that one. So, you know, check me out there and discover my obscene love for Star Trek V. You can find me on KesselJunkie.com, occasionally writing, uh, sometimes sharing art. It's fun over there, too. But uh, probably the, the the place that I'm most proud of, that I love uh, appearing on most, is being a co-host on Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast that looks at the deep nooks and crannies of the Star Wars English muffin. Uh, that is the uh, the you know the, the ever growing body of work for Star Wars, and uh, I co-host that with a, a a charming young man named Matthew Rushing. As a matter of fact, over on the Nerd Party. Yeah, it's great. We love doing that show with you. Uh, of course, you could find me on pretty much any of the social media platforms out there under Matt Rushing Zero Two. Uh, I'm also here on the network doing the Orb and Literary Treks with Chris Jones. The Orb is about Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, and Literary Treks is all about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Uh, of course, you can also find me on the Nerd Party Network. Aside from aggression negotiations, doing Owl Posts with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week one chapter at a time but just want to say thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear